So that's 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, page 1886. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you will believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Carleen, for a beautiful prayer. Uh, welcome again. My name's Michael, and welcome again to Chapel Hill. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and we're in the final talk of our topical series called Finding More. And in this series, we are looking at how we can find greater satisfaction, identity, meaning, and hope in Jesus. And in today's talk, we are going to look at how we can find a hope that won't disappoint us. So just like the other talks and topics of satisfaction, identity, meaning, we also need hope to live. It's essential like air. You can say that we are fundamentally hope-based creatures. No matter how much we might say that we live for the moment, uh, how we see our future actually affects how we live. So imagine two people. Two people, they're given the exactly the same job for a year. They have to work eight hours a day for five days each week in the factory where they sort boxes and file folders. That's all they do Monday to Friday. They sort boxes and file folders. Neither of them gets any holidays. They only have half an hour for lunch. And the first guy, he's told at the end of the year he gets to earn $10,000. But the second guy, he's told that he, after a, a, after a year of sorting boxes and filing folders, he's going to earn $10 million. So the two sit together for lunch. And the first guy says, Oh man, isn't this awful? Isn't this just so tedious? Sorting boxes, filing folders. Aren't you just sick of it? Isn't this driving you nuts? Don't you just feel like quitting? The second guy says, uh, No, I kind of enjoy it. In fact, I whistle while I work and I kind of have a bit of a hop, skip and jump down the aisle. So here you get two guys who are experiencing the same circumstances in two completely different ways. And their experience is determined by their expected hope for the future. What their hope is in completely controls how they experience the present. Quite simply, we need hope to not give up. So we need hope to get through life. But our Western culture, even though our lives are more comfortable, we live longer than others, yet many feel more and more hopeless. And I don't know if you notice if you're a TV buff or a movie buff, this hopelessness is starting to reflect in our popular culture. You might have noticed that there's this 
dystopian gloom and doom shift in our popular culture with the rise of very bleak, despairing, dystopian TV series like House of Cards, Breaking Bad, or The Walking Dead, or The Black Mirror on Netflix. So you would have seen a generation ago, the happily ever after storyline was the dominant storyline in novels, stories, and movies. Nowadays, doom and gloom dominate our screens and dominate our bookshelves. So we've got to ask ourselves, what's happened? Why are we so doom and gloom? Well, the interesting thing is, according to Robert Joostra and Lisa Wilkinson, in their book, How to Survive the Apocalypse, Zombies, Clients, Faith and Politics, and the End of the World, according to them, our fascination with dystopia can be linked, actually, with our secular mindset. This mindset that we believe generally in our popular culture, that we're the centre of the universe instead of God. I mean, the book title sounds very comical, but the book is actually a very intelligent cultural analysis of our secular time. Well, we don't believe in the transcendent, we don't believe in anything spiritual, it's just here and now. And using Charles Taylor, who wrote A Secular Age, and the Malus of Modernity as their guide, Joostra and Wilkinson's point out three illnesses of secularism. So even though we say there's no transcendent, there's no God, there's nothing spiritual, there's actually some cons with this view. A worldview without God and spirituality, according to uh, Charles Taylor, that there's three illnesses. The first one is individualism. It's this growing obsession with self, where individualism goes bad, where this pursuit of bettering oneself, uh, pursuing personal success, when it goes bad, it's when it comes at a harm and a cost to others. See, at the moment, authenticity is king. Being true to yourself, advancing oneself with a great purpose is the great purpose of life. But when authenticity is king, it can actually tyrannize other people. In our pursuit for personal significance, it can overrule, dominate, tyrannize, hurt and harm other people in our pursuit. So you might see main characters in TV series like House of Cards, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, they're examples of this, when their individual pursuit for identity, success, actually harms and tyrannizes others. The second is what Charles Taylor calls instrumentalism. Instrumentalism is a mindset of viewing that the best thing is whatever is efficient. So if we believe that there's no God, there's no higher meaning, there's no higher moral, then cost-benefit is the driving criteria in all of our decision-making. And when efficiency is king, well, it can overrule moral, ethical, spiritual, relational considerations. So some episodes in the TV series Black Mirror entertains this possibility of how extreme economic rationalism, extreme efficiency can actually dehumanize us and can actually overrule us. A third is the loss of freedom. The irony of individualism and the pursuit of personal freedom is that we can be overwhelmed and controlled and tyrannized by this paralysis of endless choice to be who we want to be. And if society is too self-absorbed and society becomes detached in participating 
in their democratic governance as citizens, then it can risk having a political system that represents the few rather than the majority, or it can even fall into tyranny. And so shows like The Walking Dead shows the breakdown of governance in the extreme context of self-survival, self-protection, and self-interest. Joostra and Wilkinson's in this book shows that these dystopian TV series really just takes these secular illnesses to the extreme. See, the ancient view of the apocalypse, the end times, the end of the world, the ancients believed that it's the gods that bring about the end of the world and the destruction of the world. But the secular apocalypse is that we bring about the end and the destruction of the world. And so here's the thing. The more we move away from God with the secular hope and optimism that we can better our lives, we can flourish our own lives without God, we actually become more and more pessimistic and become more and more hopeless about our own ability to better our lives. So just as Justra and Wilkinson says, no longer do we find our reasons for existence out in the cosmos or in some metaphysical dimension. Instead, humans have radical power to make and decide their own meaning. Ironically, of course, though we live in a universe where we are in charge, all we see in the horizon is the end. This is dystopia. And this is not only played out in TV dramas, it's actually being played out in human history. Andrew Del Blanco, in his analysis of American culture in its history, in the book The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope, traces three different hopes that society has given people over to. He names them God, nation, and self. He says, the first phase of American history, hope was chiefly expressed through the Christian promise of deliverance from death. Then over time, under the influence of the Enlightenment, instead of finding hope in the kingdom of God, Americans began to believe that the sacred calling of being the greatest nation on earth. It's essentially substituting a deified nation instead of God. And hope became the hope in the nation to bring about human progress. But as you notice on the news, many people today are losing hope in the nation. If you talk to an expat American today, they are more likely to be pessimistic than optimistic about America. Young Australians, like young Americans, are feeling that they are most likely to be more worse off than their parents. There's a less confidence in our political leaders who can't seem to be holding down their leadership positions for a term. And all this coupled with economic recession and uncertainty coupled with climate change and terrorism, our modern hope and belief that human history is marching towards everlasting progress is actually vanishing. And so with our growing disillusionment and disappointment in our hope for the nation, hope is now narrowed to self alone. And Del Banco says, in our current history, we are no longer have the belief in God and salvation, nor do we have any shared sense of national greatness and destiny. So our hope is now in ourselves, in our self-improvement, in our self-fulfillment. Our hope is now in individual freedom to pursue our own idea of what is good and to discover our authentic selves. But as we've already looked at in the previous talks of satisfaction, identity, meaning, 
our pursuit to be the best selves here and now, it's done in a broken world. It's done with bodies that age and decay, susceptible to sickness, and ultimately within ourselves we have these disordered desires. And so we can't reach the fullness that we think we might on our own. You might not be able to reach your full potential because you've just got a jerky boss who's just trying to hinder your potential and progress at work. For some of you, there's parts of your physical being that will always hinder you from being the best version of you. And that can be very frustrating. And on top of that, our ability to be our best selves in this life is limited by death. It's short-lived. And so given our short nature of our lives, the brokenness of the world, and as we admit our own weaknesses, chances are there's a higher probability that we're not going to be able to achieve all that we desire for ourselves in this short lifetime. Really, only a handful of people in the world get to do and be all they want to be. But if you read their biographies, they too have character flaws. They too have broken relationships. They too have heartache and tragedy. So if we put our, all our hopes on ourselves, we are going to be bound to find disappointments. And so given the real nature of ourselves and the world, I think there's a growing type of modern anxiety. A growing type of modern anxiety, which is the fear of disappointing ourselves, isn't it? See, we no longer fearful and anxious about our physical safety. We live in a great nation that's safe. We're no longer fear and anxious about not having enough food to eat. We can walk down Darling Street and grab our milk and bread. But we are more and more fearful and anxious about not meeting our own hopes that we have for ourselves. See, we don't despair over external political oppression. We no longer despair over external economic depression. Now we despair over our internal weaknesses. We despair over our flaws and we beat ourselves up for our failures because we're not meeting to up to the hopes that we put, up, put upon ourselves. And so what we're seeing then is that as Western society moves away from God, when it moves away from the belief of life after death, Western society is becoming more and more hopeless. We move away from God, we become more and more hopeless. And even though our culture keeps bombarding us with these messages that you have all the resources that you have all the power within to change your lives, our real experiences shows that we don't. And so the irony, the irony of our modern and sceptical culture, that's sceptical about God and faith and spirituality, our sceptical culture is now actually being sceptical of the very idea that humanity will continue to perpetually march in everlasting progress through scientific discovery technological advancements and social reform. What we really experience is that with new scientific discovery, with technological advancements and any social reform, we just find new ways and technologically advanced ways to do more harm and do more evil to ourselves and others. See, but there's hope in that actually because this new scepticism and pessimism of humanity's progress is something that Christians and secular people can actually agree on. 
Christianity has always been pessimistic about humanity's ability to save and change themselves because Christianity has a very realistic and accurate assessment of the inherent selfishness and immorality of mankind. But even though Christians are pessimistic about mankind, they are not hopeless because Christian hope is in God, not mankind. Because of all of mankind is affected by sin and brokenness, this hope of saving ourselves has to come outside of mankind, not within mankind, because we are all affected. So Christians have hope in God because God sent his son Jesus to come to our world to break the perpetual progress of sin, brokenness and death by dying on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sin and he was raised to new life. When he was raised to new life, when we have faith in him, we have hope that we too would be raised to new life, to have a fresh start. See, the hope of eternity is achieved for us. This hope is not based on what I do for God, but solely based on what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection. Even when we disappoint ourselves, even when we disappoint God, we can be sure of the hope of eternal life in Jesus because Jesus succeeded when we failed. He accomplished eternal life for us by his death and resurrection. 1 Peter 1 says in the passage that was read, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The resurrection of Jesus secures for us a new birth, it says. We have a new self that we can never achieve on our own. This new spiritual self with a new resurrected body that's not affected by age or sickness. The resurrection of Jesus also secures for us a new kingdom that will never fade, never perish. A kingdom that no nation could ever achieve. And so the hope for new life and new kingdom comes through Jesus. And it says it's a living hope. This hope of new life and new kingdom is a living hope in comparison to a dead hope. Dead hope is hope in futile things, the hope in the nation, the hope in the self. These things will continue to disappoint us. As Karen Jobes in her commentary on these verses says, Christian hope is ever-living because Christ, the ground of our hope, is ever-living. The present reality of the Christian's life is defined and determined by the reality of the past, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and is guaranteed into the future because Christ lives forevermore. Even when things don't go to our plan, when things don't go to our expectations, when things happen out of our control, even when we experience economic, social upheaval, we can still be hopeful rather than hopeless. We won't despair and give up in life because we can have an ever-living hope in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the hope of renewed bodies and a renewed world. What is broken in ourselves and in the world will all be fixed by Jesus. But that future hope actually begins today because living for the renewed hope of the future of a renewed body and a renewed kingdom teaches us to learn to live in the present time as we will 
forever. Follow Jesus will live with an ever-living hope in Jesus. They will seek to help people to amend their broken relationship with God and be reconciled to God through Jesus. Followers of Jesus will seek to help amend broken relationships that people have with one another. And followers of Jesus will also seek to fix and amend what is broken in our society, nation, and the world. Because eternal life is not another place we go to, and we don't go there in this some sort of like spiritual, ghost-like being. Eternal life in heaven is this world. It's Roselle. It's Sydney, renewed, fixed, restored. And we're going to live in that restored city in new bodies. Not a Casper-like being, but in new resurrected bodies. You and I are going to have the same face for all of eternity. And so whatever the things that will, are now will continue forever. And so for Christians, the future begins today. Because the hope in Christ makes us more involved in the world, not less. Because if these things will continue forever, then we take care and love all the things that God loves forever. Hope in Christ makes us more involved in the world, not less. Now you might have further questions about Jesus. You might have questions about whether Jesus was actually real. Whether he's a real person or not. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to come along to the Explore course. Those are the type of questions that we can discuss openly, informally, through the Explore course. Because the Explore course is not a classroom, but it's a conversation to explore the life of Jesus and the fullness of life and the hope that he can offer you. So we're going to run the Explore course today after the service, 12 p.m., just in the back corner. Lunch is on us. And if you're interested, then just come uh, during morning tea to chat to me. But to end this talk, to end this series, let's just confess that much of our existence is frantically hoping to build a paradise in this broken world. No wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we're discouraged. No wonder we're exhausted. We're trying to find hope in a physical world that is terribly broken by sin. To hope in temporary things is to hope in things that we cannot control and things that cannot, are not guaranteed to us. And so let us remind ourselves of the sure and living hope we have in Jesus that's guaranteed by Jesus' death and resurrection. When we live in the hope of Jesus' resurrection, we find an unshakable hope for this sin-shattered world. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that there will come an eternal day without betrayal, without injustice, without anger. There will come a day there will be no more pain that will fill our hearts and there will be no more tears that will fill our ears, eyes. On that day, you and I will say with other fellow pilgrims, when we're finally home, salvation belongs to our God the lame who was slain, the son who sits on the throne. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.